The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Awaken to the divine within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. Move through blocks and fulfill your passion and purpose. This is Stop Stopping Yourself with your host, Vincent Jenna. Well, hello out there. Good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are in the country. This is Vincent Jenna, and this is the Stop Stopping Yourself show. I am coming to you live today, and I am just um, thrilled, thrilled unbelievable excitement here because I've got a very special guest with me today and I'm going to be introducing her in a moment and she has such a special story that I can't wait to hear and I know you are going to be inspired by it today because that's what this show is all about it's to help inspire you but to mostly get you to stop stopping yourself and get out of your way so that you can create the lives you want. And that's what my book is all about, The Secret That's Holding You Back. So you can go see that on Amazon.com and uh, you can even pre-order it today. It comes out June 21st. I'm excited about that as well. But um, a lot has been going on, as you can see, in the world around us. And I'm constantly being asked how you deal with this. And it really, it's a very difficult time. I admit that. It's very difficult for us to remain in a grounded place. It's even difficult for us at times to continue walking a spiritual path. Every time you turn on the news and you hear more people that have been killed, that are dying, that are suffering and that are hurting right now in the Ukraine. And when people ask me, what can we do? Yes, it's fabulous. Do the best you can. I was actually told the best way to donate to the Ukraine is Google search Ukraine, um, Airbnb, bed and breakfast places, and their owners, you can Venmo money directly to them, make a reservation for a room, and then you just don't go, okay? That is guaranteed way 
that people who happen to be in the Ukraine that have Airbnbs, and there's a lot of them out there, they're guaranteed to get that money directly. Of course, any foundation you wind up sending it to, you you don't always know where it's going. You don't know how much comes out for expenses and everything like that. But I heard when I heard that, I thought it was such a great trick and way of directly reaching people. So think about that as one way. But here is another way, best way, do something, something positive. We're spiritual beings following a spiritual path. And you're going to hear that from this wonderful woman that I have as a guest today, Karen V. Johnson. And Anything we do that is positive, you have to understand, feeds into the positive pool. So you may think buying that cup of coffee for the guy standing behind you or the woman standing behind you at Starbucks is just a minimal thing. You know, you may think that picking up a tab at a supermarket for somebody or donating or dropping um, a dollar or five dollars into somebody's um, pot there, whatever they're asking for. That is small. And you have to understand that nothing we do is small. Nothing we do is small because we're not small beings. You've got to get into your mind that every single thing you do, every act, positive or negative, becomes a collective source of energy. Because we are all connected and it affects everyone everywhere because of that connection. So in remembering that, the way you help what is going on in the world today is by doing something positive. Volunteer somewhere at a food shelter, anywhere, anything for your neighbor, for your friend. An act of kindness now is actually more of an act of healing not just goodwill, not for compassion, not just for caring, but for actual healing, because we are one. So do whatever you can, whatever comes to mind, nothing is too small. Yes, of course, there are people in the world who can do so much more because they have more, but they have more monetarily. They don't have more spiritually and soulfully because we were all created equal. The richest person, man or female, on the face of this planet has no more soul and unlimited ability than the poorest person that you see on the street that's homeless. Our problem is we see a discrepancy between those people. And in actuality, there's none. Sometimes the person on the street has more spirit than the richest person that we know. So don't think that any act you do is minimal. It's not, it's maximum. And doing it now more than ever. Only one simple thing, it doesn't matter how many times you do it either. It's collective. Remember, it's collective. It all blends in and nobody gets more credit. There is nobody standing there St. Peter isn't standing there looking, okay, we, were, we just received $100 from Joey. We just received, oh, that was really nice, a cup of coffee there. That's one. Okay, so Joey has a little bit more than the cup of coffee. The cup of coffee was only four twenty nine. Oh, wait, no, he got a grande. That's a little bit more. Uh, no, no, no. There's nobody judging that except you. 
There's nobody judging that except you. And your soul gains every time you make the choice to help. Doing something spiritual for yourself, growth, helps too. You've got to understand that. Listening to this show helps. And then doing something and applying something. You're going to hear from somebody special today that went through her life and an amazing life, it sounds like, unbelievable, Fulbright scholar in Afghanistan. Good Lord. I've heard of Fulbright scholars while I was in college. Amazing. And then used and applied whatever she learned to turn her life around. She's going to share that to then become an energy medicine, a master practitioner of energy medicine, an energy medicine practitioner, right? So we're going to hear more about that because you need to take the information and apply it. And when you turn your life around, you feed the positive energy pool. You become who you're meant to be. So remember that when you want to figure out what can I do every time you watch the news and don't turn the news off, please do not turn it off. I mean, not unless it really fully brings you down. And if it does fully bring you down into a depressed state, then you need to do something about that personally. But the news should empower you more to say, all right, I've got something more I need to do for my life. I need to do for other people's lives. I need to do for life. There's too much going on. That's what I do when I hear the news. Wow. All right. I got to up my game. I'm going to up my game. Going to do more. Honey, what can we do? Who can we send to? Let's get an Airbnb, send them something. And don't forget if you can help somebody. Oh, today, if you can get somebody any amount of gasoline for their car so that they can go out and buy food for their children. Oh my gosh. Just give out, get a, get, a, get, get a couple of, if you can afford it, even one or two, get a couple of gas cards anywhere and just hand them to somebody. Hand them to somebody. And if you don't think that that's worth gold today, it is today. People are freaking out. They can't even get out to the store to buy food. So you see that even though things are happening on the other side of the world, they affect us all. The pandemic started in China and look where it went. It affected us all. When are we going to learn that there is no such thing as separation? That we are all connected and we affect each other. And if we can affect each other in a negative way, of course, we can affect each other in a positive way. But you've got to get out of your own way. So without hesitation and any more delay, I really do want to bring on this person. Um, When I was introduced to her, a friend of mine sent me her book that she just wrote, which is, I mean, amazing. The title, I was reading the title over and over again, Living Grieving, Living Grieving. Wow. And then I realized using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss, using energy medicine. This is a Hay House published book, Living Grieving. And I know because of the work that I do as a medium, I know so many people who are living grieving, especially parents, and it turns out that this is part of Karen's story. So I don't feel like telling it anymore because I want to bring the special person on. So will you please welcome Karen Johnson. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Oh, Vincent, thank you so much for having me. Oh, wow, what a beautiful introduction. And, oh, I loved everything you had to say about everything, participating wow. and charity and giving. And we all are one if we drop down into our hearts. That hearts are where we are all connected. We're never alone. We're all connected. And we well, drop into our heart chakra and body peace and imagine sending our peace everywhere. All over That's that, um, coming blue, from you. Green, That's amazing. Green. I need to know how you got to that. So could you do us a favor <laughs> and take us back to the beginning? Because this is it didn't start this way for you. It doesn't sound like that when I read your bio. All right. So from right, Fulbright right. Scholar in Afghanistan, right? You hold a master's degree in public health and public and international affairs. You are a retired federal administrative law judge who practiced criminal and energy law. Oh, my gosh. For almost 30 years, a former U.S. Army officer major. Okay, that right there. I only know one other person personally who is a medium Suzanne Giesman, unbelievable, who worked for the Pentagon. She was an officer also, now turned medium and an unbelievable medium and spiritual teacher. Please tell me your story. How did you, first of all, what got you interested in the beginning part of your life there before you even get into this end part here? (laughs) Yeah, I think the backdrop, I think sometimes we have so many incarnations in one lifetime. And I think the backdrop of our stories sometimes gives illuminates the the newer stories. And so as a child, I was very um, tuned into, we lived way out in the woods and I was alone a lot. So I had a friend that was a invisible fairy and I had another person in the basement that appeared to me as an Indian chief. And so my mother always told me, don't talk about that. People are going to think you're crazy. This was in the 50s. Okay, so things were oh, pretty God. wrapped up. wrapped up tight back then and so um but i just grew out of that or grew away from it or realized that it wasn't you know mainstream and so i really always wanted to be um, an archaeologist or an anthropologist and i remember all going around in the sixth or seventh grade and all the girls wanted to be nurses and all the boys wanted to be doctors and i wanted to be an archaeologist so i was always the odd odd one out (laughs) But in those days, it was hard to believe, but it was before cell phones and uh, internet and all those things that make worldwide communication so instantaneous. Oh, we had, remember those blue envelope type things that you would write for internationally and you'd write one way on it and then you'd turn the paper and write the other because it was all expensive and you wanted to put as many words as possible on the on the paper. Oh my. So. Yes, I do. I do remember those. I, and I couldn't write that small because everything was about me was big, big letters, big mouth, big everything. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so um, my parents had a fit. Of course, I was an only child and they said, that's not safe for a girl. Um, so I, I, but instead, but I did manage to go to Afghanistan on a Fulbright scholarship. That was back in 1984, before the Soviet invasion. So it was back during a time of relative peace in Afghanistan, which has known really very little peace in its existence over the centuries. Um, but, you know, my mother and father and society and culture and all of it won out. And so I decided I would take the safe route and get master's degrees and 
Um, I decided that hospital work wasn't for me, but I went on to law school. And eventually, so that was like 30 years of really, I call it in my book, colluding with consensual reality. And colluding with the consensual, the consensual is all the things that family, culture, society tell us we ought to do and should do and must do. And then collude. Wow, collude is such a heavy word. Um, It's defined by uh, willfully cooperating secretly or unlawfully to deceive. Oh, my gosh. So such a heavy concept, right? Yes. So success at any price is what I bought into. And did I do it secretly? I suppose. I certainly didn't rail against it. Um, I just went along day by day making choices that acquiesced to all the expectations floating around me. And I did that really for 30 years, always looking for the brass ring, always looking for success, the next job, the next promotion, the next whatever. Um, And I was pretty good at that. I had talent for that until my 27-year-old son died from a heroin overdose. Oh, and my goodness. That day, yeah. And that day, my entire world fell apart. Um, okay, before you, know, you go on from that day, because that's really important, yeah. but before that, you skipped the part on how you got into the military. What made you go into the military? What made you become a judge? <laughs> well, what made me go into the military, oddly enough, was it was a time when uh, sometimes lawyers are in great supply and not enough demand. And it was one of those times that, where there was not enough demand and lots of us. And so the military looked to me like another way to have fun, to kind of touch into that young girl who wanted to be an archaeologist, anthropologist, go around the world and see things and it didn't really occur to me about war and shooting. And because at that time when I went in in 1983, it was relatively peaceful. So, um, yeah, so it, it didn't really occur to me the war side of the military. And I didn't really experience much of the war side. The only thing I was on active duty for was the Gulf War. But I was stateside for that. So it was a little bit different. But I just loved it. I loved being in different countries. And I loved being outside more instead of stuck in a cubicle somewhere. I had a great job in Washington, D.C. with a big law firm. But in those days, there were not that many women lawyers either. And it was sort of an old boys club. And we even went on Christmas, I remember, a Christmas to a to a men's club in D.C. I'm not even sure there are men's clubs anymore. And sitting around and talking about women and, and in kind of derogatory ways and smoking cigars. And I just thought, this isn't for me. They don't even want me. They don't really like me. What am I doing here? And so the JAG Corps came up and I got in and, and it, it, it was sort of a confluence of events. Um, and I think it was good in the sense it allowed me to get away from a very stuffy environment and go into the military, which was another sort of all-male club, if you will. So I don't know. I think I was trading one thing for the other. I wasn't really very in touch with my femininity or my female side. I really grew up thinking, wow, I want to be like a man. They have all the power. They have all the fun. Women just stay home and take care of the house and have to listen to the men and raise children. I don't want to do that. I want to be the one. I want to be one of those out there going around and having fun and doing things and creating things and being powerful. So 
it took me a while to balance my masculine and feminine side and, and see things from a different perspective. Well, but, I'm telling uh, you, yeah, I just, it's so funny that you're talking about that and the woman's role, even as an attorney, we, my wife and I just finished um, uh, binge watching The Good Wife. And it was all about a law firm and all about female lawyers and all they had to do. And I think it was I mean, it it was more a little bit more contemporary, but it started a a while ago. So I totally get what you're talking about with that. But to, to have the stamina to stick with that and then, like you said, go on to this judge. I want to hear all about becoming a judge. But where did you pull up the the ability, the wherewithal, the the stamina, the tenacity to continue with all of that weight and and negativity around you like that? Gosh, I think I grew up in a small town that was mostly coal mining area in southwestern Pennsylvania. And I think coming from that kind of environment and saying, I want out of here, whatever it takes. I used to, my mother would take me to the library and I would take out seven books and I would read a book a day and I just didn't want to be in that environment. It was escapism in a big way. And uh, so I think it was that, it was that desire to get out, to not go back to that, to succeed, to really buy into success at any price. That's where I I think it just gives you strength. You know, I think sometimes when you have a very um, challenging kind of upbringing, a challenging background, it either crushes you or it inspires you. And I think it inspired me to be bigger, be better, do more. Well, I kind of feel that coming from my perspective as a psychic therapist and medium, that a lot of times we choose those beginnings to get us to where we want to be. And yes, you have two options and apparently you chose the right one. <laughs> so really good. So, so now get us to that federal judge. Holy moly that, you know, that's not like um, just another street corner attorney, you know, opening up a practice. That's something really big. Yeah. So I got out of the military as a active duty officer. Cause my um, ex-husband had a, special forces training accident. And so we both decided to get out of the military. But then I was working at the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces and the uh, Army Court of Appeals. I was working with judges in those Army courts and working for judges. So I kind of got an idea of how the judicial thing went. And it was another step up. It's very difficult to become an assistant to one of the judges that's very competitive. And so I got one of those and I did that for several years. And then I thought, hey, you know what? I heard about this administrative law thing. It's civilian. It's not military, but I'm going to apply for that. And and that's what I did. I applied and, you know, these applications are, wow, they take months and they look at everything. They go through your background and they, all the people you've practiced with and worked with and all get all kinds of life reviews. They think they know more about you than you know about yourself at the end. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, you know, I got on the list and I finally uh, got a job as an administrative law judge. And that sort of ha- was my uh, thing for a while. And I thought, wow, this is pretty good. I think sometimes we reach a point in life we think, wow, I've, I've kind of grasped all the brass rings that I can see. I mean, it's not like I have uh, the money and the contacts and all that to 
um, go up the ladder to higher level courts or the Supreme Court. But this is pretty good. I, I've done pretty good for a kid from, you know, uh, Irwin, Hermony, Pennsylvania. Not so bad. Yeah. And I didn't have a really, yeah, not so bad, right? And it was, um, and you know, the what next hadn't occurred to me, but I think it was cooking in spirit. And I think the what next that was missing for me was a spiritual path because I really had rejected all that. I didn't really uh, resonate with traditional religion. I felt like it was too exclusive. And what about the Hindus and the Buddhists and everybody else is going to hell and we have to choose one way and only one way is right. And is it wearing vestments okay, not wearing vestments okay, This you know, saints okay, not okay. It was all seemed like a confusing mess to me. And so I really, even when my parents passed, in the ordinary course of things, I mean, my father was 89, my mother was 93, so it was expected. And I didn't have that kind of complete falling apart as I did with my son. They say that if you have an unexpected death or the death of a child, those are really tough. And if you have no, those are definitely the tough ones. I, but we're going to. Yeah. I'm, I'm still holding your thought on your son here because we're coming into a commercial break in, in just a minute or two, uh, and I definitely want to talk about that and your book, how you came to your book. So what I'm hearing you say then is what's really interesting is that even though you didn't consciously have this spiritual guidance system that you were practicing, there was something else within you that kept you moving and creating some of the things that you really enjoyed? Because it sounds like all you kept doing was manifesting what you wanted in the first part of your life. Right, right, for sure. For sure. Manifesting, I think, for me, and really not looking at the bigger picture, which kind of came in later with my son's death. So I'm not that same self-focused, driven by success person. I'm much more heart-focused and spirit-focused, and love-driven. Wow, I love, I, I love that you said that, but you just, you definitely had, you started from a, a, a such a negative point. It sounds like a, a movie, you know, you just gave the Loretta Lynn story, basically, um, because yeah. she started, she was a coal miner's daughter, and you came from a coal mining town. And so from the, 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 absolute zero and nothingness that we can come from we can create everything that we want that's that's the part that i love so much is without you even knowing it the soulful part of you must have been guiding you all along and you wound up creating what you want and 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 then of course then something deeper happens And um, we are definitely going to be returning to this conversation um, with Karen Johnson. And if you do not have her book yet, it's called Living Grieving. I've been advertising her in the book, Living Grieving, um, uh, which is an absolute amazing story on how she actually is using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss. And that's what the book is about. And as soon as we come back, Karen, you've got to share that heart-wrenching story of your son. This is the Stop Stopping Yourself show. This is Vincent Jenner with special guest today. Karen V. Johnson will be right back.
Welcome back to Stop Stopping Yourself with Vincent Jenna. Yes, welcome back. And if you are just joining us, you need to go back and listen to the first part of the show. It is a podcast because I have a special guest on, Karen V. Johnson, who wrote Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And we're talking about a very special person here, and she's about ready to give us the 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 rest of the story and the the inspirational part there is i was a hospice social worker karen and there is no greater grief than a mother losing a child and now i'm i'm a father of course and i can't imagine it and i know it would be so painful but one of the reasons why a mother's grief is even more painful or different shall we say because the mother carried this child carried it and it's completely different yes it has the blood of the father it has the 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 all you know the genetic parts too but a mother carries a child and that's a different relationship so so could you begin there when life changed for you yeah so my son ben was struggling i mean he had trouble in school and he wanted to start his own business in the business had not done well, and he was at a time struggling to decide, should I go to college? Very bright kid, didn't want to go to college, um, trying to go back to college, all these things. And I knew he was hurting, but I was going on a trip to South Korea, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll deal with this when I get back. We're, he and I are going to sit down. We're going to have a big conversation as soon as I get back. So I'm in South Korea, and I get a phone call in the afternoon. I hadn't been feeling well that afternoon, just really feeling terrible. And, and the person hung up. And so I called the number back and I said, who is this? And it was a detective. And I said, a detective, what's happened? He said, it's something about your son. Where are you? And I said, I'm in South Korea. What's going on? Is he in it? Was he in an accident? He said, no, I'm sorry. He's dead. You know, screaming Mm. from what? from a heroin overdose. I mean, it just blew my mind entirely. Oh, my God. And oh. um, I, I just, and and so there was this 13, 14 hours time difference. So I couldn't, that was in the evening by the time I talked to the detective and I couldn't get a flight until early the next morning. So it was all just uh, this big mess of trying to get on a flight and trying to get out of South Korea and trying to get home. And um, so I was sitting in the airport in South Korea and suddenly I saw Ben. He was right in front of me. Just like he was alive. He was right there. And then he kind of faded away and I called my husband, my ex-husband, I said, look, you've got to call the ME. I think he's alive. I think he's trying to get out of the freezer. I think he's alive. I just saw him. And so the, he called the ME and the ME looked and said, I'm sorry, but he's gone. And that was sort of a big window, a big wake up call to me is that, oh my God, life after death. He's, he is alive in a way. He, he's appearing to me. And then I went home and all the craziness for the funeral. And so as I talked, my son was six, eight. So one of the reasons he died so quickly from this heroin overdose, he wasn't an addict. Some friends had gone to a party and for whatever reason, they got drunk and decided to try heroin and he, they gave him too much and he died instantly almost instantly and so it it just was one of those really hugely 
striking, important, death-defying events that happens. And, um, yeah, so I get back, and the funeral is uh, weak, and, <laughs> and so he, because I was telling the story about how tall he and he's big because I get a call from the funeral director who says to me, uh, well, you know, you ordered that urn, but I can't squash him all in there. What do you want me to do with the rest of him? Oh, my goodness. And I said, yeah, and I said, you know, this is the mother you're talking to, you, you know. And I said, just, 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 I'll buy another urn. Just put, just, just, I didn't want to talk about this. And it was just one thing after the other that was just horrifying. I found the whole process horrifying. Luckily, my wonderful daughter took over and put together the funeral and the music and all this because I was pretty much unable to function. Of course. And, yeah. And so, but that was the beginning for me of realizing that Ben was all around me. And so I had a friend, dear friend, that came and stayed for a week. And then my daughter and her um, fiance had stayed for a few weeks. And so during that time, I could feel, I could feel sense no Ben around me fluttering, sort of like, like butterfly wings sort of like wings all around me. I could feel him fluttering. But I couldn't hear what he was saying or um, see him in that way that I had before. And so by the time everybody left, I was in such bad shape, I couldn't get upstairs. So I would lay on the floor and scream, scream till I threw up and throw up till I threw up blood. But I could feel him frantically around me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to contact a medium. And mediums don't like to get involved usually in that soon after someone passes. But she agreed, and I said, "Okay, he's right there. He's standing right there. See the fire, see the candle flickering. He's making that happen. He wants you to know he's right there. Can you tell me what he's saying? I can't hear what he's saying, but I can see him." And so we had a wonderful session. And afterwards, she said, "You know, you might have some abilities yourself." Most of my clients have no idea that their loved one is standing right there and that they have this impression of them around. And so I did that. I began mediumship training and I began um, the Kabbalah and spirit crystals and all anything I could get my hands on. Um, to, but my main goal was really to stay in touch with, with Ben at that moment. And then as time went on, everything started to open up. Like one time I woke up and my bedroom was full of spirits, including Ben. And I just said, okay, everybody but Ben out of my bedroom. You all got to leave. I can't wake up to, to a bunch of spirits. Nope, that's not happening. And then I went out in the hallway and the hallway in the house was filled with spirits. I said, okay, everybody out of my house. And they left. And it was sort of an eye-opening thing to me that, oh, my gosh, we have a little bit of say in this. I don't have to yes. be surrounded by spirit. Yeah. <laughs> no, you actually, you just, have you seen the television series Ghost? No, I haven't. Watch it, because you're describing exactly what happened to this woman in her house, um, uh, which oh, is absolutely okay. amazing. Yes, yeah, so you you studied it enough and opened up that much that, of course, other spirits, did you know, were those other spirits with Ben for a reason, or did they enter in? What did you feel about that when that experience happened? You're, you're saying like it seems so natural for you, but when that first happened, how did you feel? 
Well, I, I was I was really scared. If Ben hadn't been there, I'd have been really scared. I had the sense that these were spirits of other young people who had passed and that they were wow. part of his either pod or soul group or his his group wow. or, or ones that needed help passing over. And this was before I went to the Four Winds Society and became a shaman. So now I actually deal and I help spirits transition. Um, but at that time, I didn't know how to do that. All I knew was, whoa, this is a lot. What am I going to do with all this? And That's um, right. You became a shaman. I forgot about that part. Everything else was impressing me so much that, yes, I, I just remembered that, reading that about you. So everything right. kept directing you. Were you. Were you doing this alone? Did you have any support mechanism or network system? None whatsoever. I mean, in my world um, in Northern Virginia. It has the highest uh, educational level in the country. Um, everyone that I knew was just like me, left brain, um, lawyers, judges, uh, CEOs, those sorts of people. So I had nobody to turn to. In fact, when I went to look for a medium, I didn't even know there were mediums around me. I thought, oh, I might have to drive a couple hours. Little did I know that right around me were a whole page of mediums, a whole page of spiritual people, but I wasn't part of that community, and I had, it wasn't part of my world. I didn't see it. I didn't know it. And um, so when I went to choose a medium, (laughs) the funny thing is the way spirit always guides me. Um, I looked at the page, and one woman's picture was larger than the others. And so I said, huh, okay, I'll try that one. That's not Latlow. She looks good. And then a couple of days later, I went back and that looked at that page looking for her again. And the picture was exactly the same size. And this I've had that happen. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is fabulous. So in all these journey, it was about a, um, nine months or a year that I really was intensely, intensely uh, going through this journey. And someone uh, actually, my mentor that was a medium said, you might really enjoy talking to this evolutionary astrologer. And I talked, spoke with him and he said, oh, yeah, you've moved from Uranus, shame, blame, guilt into Neptune, the mystical path. And at that point, I, I thought, uh, well, what, what, what's that <laughs> the mystical path and how do I get one? And he said, well, there's a woman who another woman I know that had a reading like yours that became a shaman. And I was so shocked. I said, a shaman? I thought, I thought they was, were gone, you know, centuries ago. I had no idea there were modern-day neo-shamans. And so my left brain did what any left brain-oriented person like me would do. Is I went to Google and I typed in shaman. <laughs> and up popped the Four Winds Society. And um, three weeks later, I was on a plane to California, to Joshua Tree, for my first Uh, shaman course the south direction of the medicine wheel and the rest is sort of history i just loved it it just answered all my questions about how to deal with um shedding the past shedding pain living a good life and um helping spirits to transition um where I was, nobody said, oh, gee, you see your son. Everybody's like, oh, of course you do. Of course he's right behind you. Of course you see him. Of course he comes and comes. <laughs> totally different from the environment I was in. So in Northern Virginia, if you, if you, 
I my sense was that if I went to a psychologist or psychiatrist that was a regular person, they would have wanted to give me medicine or pills because after all, extreme grief, and that's what I was in, is a category in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Right. And not that those things are a bad thing, but I didn't want it because I didn't want to ruin my connection with Ben. I wanted to enhance that connection. And so I didn't oh, want I got to stop you there. That is way. so important that you just said that because that's exactly what I teach in classes is that even grief, as normal as it is, it still can close the channel because it's a negative feeling. And mm. anything negative can close off that connection. And you are validating that the, the more you try to let go of the grief, the more that connection opened up for you, right? Yeah, yeah. The more I, I tapped into it and said, I don't want it to be medicated away. I want right. to just roll with this grief. I'm, I'm not going to have somebody artificially give me medicine that I can't think and I can't experience. I want to feel and experience, and I want to feel and experience my time with Ben in his right. afterlife and my after loss, I heard somebody call it, and I think that's so brilliant. Yeah, so you're familiar so, with helping parents heal that is based out of Arizona, um, it is. It was a, an organization started by Elizabeth Boyson. You've got to. You'd be such an important contributor to that organization because they have mediums and people just like you who have experienced the loss of a child, and it helps them heal by making connections for them and sharing oh, your beautiful. own experiences. You would be amazing with them. Oh, An amazing I just, healer. I just absolutely wrote that down. So in my yes. website. Um, Karen Johnson net one of the eight things I, you get eight things spirits on the other side wish you knew and one thing that's then that all was downloaded to me from Ben but Ben says they wish they knew that as we remain stuck in our grief they too can't do all they're not free to do all they need to do on the other side as we wow. go through what I call the hero's journey of the bereaved transition to resurrection, to rebirth. It's the same journey that our loved ones go through on the other side. I and believe that breeze. completely. Mm. Is that what your book is about? Yeah. Can you talk about your that's, book, Karen? Yeah, that's what the book is about. The book is about touching into the energy of grief. We know that um, getting married has transformational energy. Having a child is transformational energy. But our culture shies the right way from grief and loss. And grief and loss also have a transformational energy. And if we can tap into that, then we can not be stuck in our hopelessness and despair. We can actually use that energy to recreate our life out of the ashes of the old one. And my book has um, the way I do it is I superimpose it over the medicine wheel, the four parts of the medicine wheel, south, west, north, and east, and each direction has four practices to help people to really work through and think through those things that are holding them back in a ceremonial way. So I have people have a candle and a pie pit plate and a pencil or pen and paper and write down answers to things like, who is judging you? Who are you judging? And take them, take all these lists to the fire 
so that it can be released. And open your heart, open that beautiful heart for newness to come in, for non-judgment to come in. So Ramdas has a beautiful saying about this. He says, when we go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all the different trees. Some of them are bent and some of them are straight and some of them are evergreens and some of them are whatever. And you look at the tree and you allow it. You see why it is the way it is. And you don't judge it. But when we come to people, that judging mind comes in. You're to this, I'm to that. So sometimes writing down, who are you judging? Maybe it's that brother or sister or mother or father that didn't, you felt didn't do enough, wasn't helpful. Um, maybe it's the doctors. Maybe it's the hospital. Maybe you're judging yourself. You know, we judge ourselves so harshly. I should have done this. I could have done that. I might have done this. Taking it to a candle, and in shamanism, we believe that smoke um, is a, or fire is a pathway of tr- rapid transformation. And we often take things to the fire and watch the smoke carry our prayers to heaven. So you don't have to be a shaman to do this. I mean, we kind of know we want to get to this sacred mindset naturally when we walk into a church or a temple and we see candles somewhere to light a candle we light a candle we just do it without thinking and that's what we're doing we're stepping out of our serpent brain our reptilian brain and we're getting into our neocortex our neocortex is where we enter into ceremony and when we enter into ceremony these things can be blown away like um, a feather in the wind instead of trying to move things at the physical level so how many times have you heard people say, um, you know, there's many, many books on saying how, what to do after grieving. You're supposed to go to a movie and have a date and do this and do that. All these things in the physical realm and people say, but I can't. I'm just not ready. I, I'm, there's this heaviness around me. So what I want to get at is the heaviness around you. I want to find out where the heaviness lives in you. Is it not the other, another one is non-suffering. All the stories we tell each ourselves, write these stories down and release them. I should have done this. I should have done that. I can think back to when Ben was two. Oh, it was probably the wrong babysitter. It was probably the wrong daycare. It was probably this. It was that. I was a bad mother. I was too permissive. I worked too much. Certainly, those are all the things that society throws at us. When your child dies and theirs doesn't, when they live so you must have done something wrong. You must have done something that they haven't done. And so we absorb a lot of shame, blame, guilt. And this keeps us stuck and small. And right. suffering, too. Um, we think that our suffering shows our loved ones how much we love them. And actually, that's not the case. They already know how much we love them. Our suffering, all it does is keep us stuck in despair and hopelessness. And so what I want more than anything is to allow people to know that those words that people say, it's time to get over it, it's time to move on, it's time to um, do this or do that. I don't know what time that is, but I'm not in that time zone. And neither does anybody else have to be. So what then do you offer? I don't mean to interrupt that because we're running out of time so quickly here. First, please give your website. And then what do you offer as a, a master energy, med- you know, working with energy medicine? What is it that you personally help people with? What are your services? 
Sure. My website is karenjohnson.net. And so I work with people that are grieving. Um, I'm going to have a class coming up pretty soon um, that goes through all 16 practices for four weeks. So one, four practices a week for people to work with and um, talk about in class. And um, helping if you have a loved one and you want to um, get in touch with them or you want to help them to see if they need to move on, if they're stuck in between worlds. I do a little bit of psychopomp type of work. Um, and also just regular shaman work, looking for extractions and entities and energies and things that we pick up as we go through life, heavy energies that we can get rid of. I do the full gamut of things. So counseling, but not counseling in the sense of a therapist, but in a shamanic, energetic way. I work with people's energy body to help them transmute heavy energies. That's why I call it the alchemizing, alchemizing the heaviness of grief and loss. And living grieving, yeah, that title is so important because we're living with our grief and we're living as we're grieving and we're using our grief to create new lives. I love that so much because much of what we talk about, even on this show, is about healing what may be health issues, um, uh, what may be some other emotional issues, depression, anxiety, stress stress-related disorders, and now even things like pandemics and viruses. But what we don't talk about is healing grieving because yeah. people are so stuck in the belief that that can't be healed, that can't be used in some way. So what I hear you saying is that there is a way to still grow and not just move on, because that's what the world does. We move on, but we don't heal. And you're saying we can even heal and use grief to transform yeah. our lives because that's what it sounds like it did to you. Yes, and, and not just new grief. I'm talking about I work with people resolving old grief, grief from a parent that died when they were young 50 years ago, and they've been carrying it. And grief and loss can become stuck in our physical bodies and create yes. illness. So as we look at compound grief, anticipatory grief, old grief, fresh grief, unresolved grief, unexpected grief, all these types of grief live in our physical body and our luminous energy field. And getting in touch with those and walking through 16 practices, if you've lost a business, if you've lost a partner, if you've had a divorce, work with that. Allow yourself to go through this process so that you come out at the end not forgetting about it. It's not the forgetting because it's always part of you, but it no longer is living in you and causing harm and illness and causing you to make bad ju judgments and bad decisions in your life because of all the unprocessed and unresolved issues. Well, I'm telling you that that is amazing, Karen. I want to, we only have a few minutes left. This hour just flew by. I want to thank you. And again, your website is KarenJohnson.com. That correct? Dot net. Dot net. Okay. KarenJohnson.net. We want to make sure we get yep. that correct. So you can go there. And your book is being sold everywhere. It's on Amazon, I believe. Isn't that correct? Yes, you can get it on Amazon. There's a link in my website. 
So, um, and you can see in my website all the services I offer, and you can contact me through my website too. And please do that, people, because we've experienced a lot of loss of all different types, especially with what's gone on in the past several years, to se- even several decades. Yeah. And yes, Karen is correct in, in showing that grief does stay with us from childhood all the way until now. And so, Karen, I want to really thank you so much for joining, taking the time out to join us today. Your services are very much needed in the world, especially today with all the loss that's going on. So thank you. Thank you again for for being here. And um, everybody out there, just realize there is always hope to go from absolutely nothing to being able to heal other people and to heal grief like Karen has exemplified. Everybody can do that because of who we are. We are divine, unlimited beings. We are souls with unlimited potential, but we've forgotten that. And if we remember that through our times listening and reading on people like Karen Johnson, um, like others here, this is Unity Online Radio. And that's the whole reason for Unity Online Radio, to help grow our lives and so, so one more time, Karen, thank you for joining us, really. And, and again, we'll meet thank again. Thank you for having again. me. Oh, yeah. Anytime. You, <laughs> you got to come back. You promise me you're going to come back. I, I promise. I promise. All right. I'm going <laughs> to hold new, you I to that. I got a new book coming, too. So I'll come back. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Be in touch when that new book comes <laughs> out. Everybody, you've been listening to the Stop Stopping Yourself show. I'm your host, Vincent Jenna. And we have wonderful guests on this show like Karen Johnson. So please be listening now. This is the work that can add to the healing of the world. Have a fabulous week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.